Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Bookser Magic in Brooklyn, New York, home to exciting new releases and beloved classics, nooks for children and books to read in them, gumballs filled with poetry, author panels almost every night of the week, story times on the weekends, and plenty of magic. Learn more and shop online at booksormagic.net. And we're brought to you by Literary Cleveland, where you can explore other voices and discover your own. Search for classes and find your creative community at litcleveland.org. So I have a love-hate relationship with cooking. I love gathering around a dinner table and eating, drinking, and laughing with good friends. I love conversations that stretch and linger late into the darkness as folks hang out over the last bit of sauce on the plate, the last drop of wine in the bottle, the last belly laugh at the phrase we've repeated so often it's become an inside joke. I love gathering with friends and family. But I don't always like the work that goes into the meal to get it to the table. And I hate when I follow a recipe hoping to wow people and then the steps are unnecessarily complicated or the results are just meh. And don't even get me started about weeknight dinner mayhem. I work and have meetings and my kids need to get to and from their myriad activities. If I try to make something new, it almost always takes 10 times too long. And then I'm pivoting to the same three meals, the tacos, chicken, spaghetti, that it feels like we eat every single week. And as bad as this is, my cooking conundrums used to be even worse. The first time I baked for my husband's birthday, I set off the fire alarm. The whole building, the whole apartment building was evacuated. When my youngest kids were tiny, I remember accidentally putting the ice cream in the pantry and then trying to use it to make pancakes the next morning when we ran out of milk. I have burned singed, and outright ruined everything from soup to pizza. So today's guest has saved me from myself. She's not just a great cook. She's been like my fairy godmother. She taught me how to roast a chicken and roll Ukrainian dumplings from scratch. She taught me not to fear mushrooms and that if I didn't want to crank up the grill, I could barbecue ribs in my oven and no one would ever know. She and I have cooked over a hundred meals together, but until today's conversation, we'd never met. Maybe she can be your food fairy godmother too. Deb Perlman is a self-taught home cook, photographer, and creator of the award-winning blog, Smitten Kitchen. Deb likes bourbon, artichokes, french fries, things that taste like burnt sugar, and baked goods with funny names. In previous iterations of her so-called career, she's been a record store shift supervisor, a scrawler of happy birthday on bakery cakes, an art therapist, and a technology reporter. She likes her current gig, the one where she wakes up and cooks whatever she feels like that day, the best. Deb is the author of The Smitten Kitchen Cookbook, Smitten Kitchen Every Day, and her latest book that's out right now, Smitten Kitchen Keepers. She lives in New York City with her husband and their children. Deb Perlman, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thanks for having me here. So on the one hand, you and I met like 20 seconds ago. (laughs) 
But I'm sure you get this all the time. But on the other hand, I feel like we've known each other for like over a decade, or at least I've known you. Like you, you have blessed my holiday tables. Your cookies and crumb cakes have earned me compliments at bake sales, compliments which I have wholeheartedly accepted on both of our behalfs, sometimes crediting you and sometimes not. Like we've spent birthdays together, you and me, and one truly exceptional Mother's Day tea. I, I enjoyed those events and I appreciate you having me there. It's wild to me. I love it. I love it. It makes me so happy. Like sometimes I think of these dishes that I've created and sent off into the world and like having this great life and it like, it makes me like, okay, now it's sound absolutely insane, but like, it makes me feel like they're like my little kids, like going off and having a good life. Like sometimes somebody will be like, I made your cake last weekend and we were at my lake house and they sent me a picture of this cake on a patio with the sunset behind it. I'm like, my cake is doing so well in life. <laughs> anyway. Well, I, I love that. Your, cake, <laughs> your cakes, your cake's been to Tuscany or like traveled so to places. For it. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And even I was thinking about this, like beyond, beyond the food, which is immaculate. I also feel like you've been a conduit for my relationships. When my oldest daughter was, say, 13 and we could barely communicate without arguing, we could always meet each other on the pages of one of your recipes. Like, I I really do mean that. Like, you're, I think I said this in the pitch to your your agent, I was like, your potato verniki helped my family survive the pandemic. You know, like, we, we, we limped along, but but you fed us. Um, a good friend of mine is truly convinced that your coconut cake cured her head lice. Oh, my God. I'm saying it. it I'm going to put that right <laughs> on its bio page. Like, skip over WebMD <laughs> and make this cake instead. It's magic. That's amazing. I hope it's true. That would be great because those lice people cost a lot of money. Um, yeah. Not that I know. We, we brought it over. We brought it over and, and combed them out and ate cake. And I'm just saying, I mean, it's I'm putting it out there, guys. And, oh. and your lasagna has has occasionally saved my marriage. I have two frozen, like they're in my freezer right now, just in case for okay. like a rainy That's marital amazing. Day. Is this the vegetable one or the um, bolognese one? So it depends. These are the bolognese because my children are on like a zucchini strike. I keep hiding it in things. And I tell them like there's zucchini hidden in the bolognese. Um, I prefer mm-hmm. the veggie. They prefer the meat. I feel um, we, we all need our like arc with zucchini where we're like, you know, we're like, this is bland. It's slippery. It's everywhere I don't want it to be. And then ultimately you come around because zucchini is everywhere and you have to learn how to cook with it or, yeah, you know, it is ubiquitous. So, but I invited you here to talk about your, your latest cookbook, right? Smitten Kitchen Keepers, which everyone who's listening should just go ahead and go out and buy for <laughs> every foodie on their holiday list. But I really did also invite you here to like, thank you for this utterly one-sided friendship, like the past 10 or 15 years where We've been friends and you didn't know it because your food has enriched my table. But you, Deb Perlman, like this stranger who feels like family, you've totally enriched our lives. I want to thank you because I would not be able to do this job if it wasn't. If I, didn't, I wouldn't get to do this thing that I love doing so much if it wasn't for these experiences. So thank you. I had never in a million years thought when I started my site that there would be like strangers making these recipes part of their lives and that it would allow me to keep doing it. And so it's it's very significant to me that I'm allowed to. So thank you. Well, we are super grateful. And it's astonishing to me that anyone in our audience might not yet know who you are and what you're about. But for like the two and a half listeners we have who don't know, I wonder if you could just begin by telling us 
you know, your story? Sure. Um, I started a food blog called Smitten Kitchen in 2006. I thought it would last six months because why would you go to somebody who is barely knew how to cook herself for recipes? And the opposite happened. I think people enjoyed fi- that I figured things out as I went. And um, so I've been, I've had the site for 16 years now. Um, there's over a thousand recipes on it. Should actually do a count. It's far more than a thousand. And I've just, so I've just published my third cookbook and it's called Smitten Kitchen Keepers. And it is all about recipes that I hope we will want to have forever. Like the kind of recipes when you're like, this is the one, this is the recipe that I want to make forever. And I hope you have that experience at least a few times while making things from the book. No, we definitely, we definitely did. Um, I swear in one of your recipes, this is a little bit off topic because we're going to circle back around to the book, but I swear in one of your recipes from like the way, way back, don't you tell us that you met your now or former husband, actually haven't, don't you met, didn't you meet a guy on your website and marry him? Am I making that up? No, you're not actually. (laughs) So Spin Kitchen started in 2006, but in 2003, I, you know, everybody had a blog. So I had one I had a blog. <laughs> it's not a secret. I just, it just doesn't come up that much. And I was, I don't know, you didn't need to have like a theme or like a social media strategy. There was no social media. You could just write some stuff on TypePad or Blogspot. It was fine. So that's what I was doing. And I was living in New York, finding New York quirky and amusing. I obviously have a lot of random stories I like to tell. And I was going out on a lot of bad dates. And I thought, I'm just going to write about this. This is just content. So I started writing about bad dates. And I think I got to about two before I went on one with my husband because he was reading the site. Uh, We basically just met for a drink, but we got married two years later. So I could no longer write about dating because that would be very uncomfortable for everybody. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) but what was happening, and I think it it does happen a lot sometimes at these points in your life when you're like, maybe I don't want to go out for every meal or like order in. Maybe it's time for me to start figuring out how to cook. And I felt like I knew how to cook, but I realized in a very practical way, I didn't know how to cook. Like I didn't have a go-to recipe for like spaghetti or quiche or meatballs or chicken noodle soup or split pea soup or any of these things. Like I thought I knew how to cook, but I'm really obsessed with this idea of go-to recipes. Like I wanted, I don't want to play roulette when I make a cake. I want to know that this cake is going to work. And so that was really what I was doing. I was just collecting recipes and saying, you know, if you make this cake in this order and you do it this way and you bake it in this pan, it's perfect. Let me write that down and tell people so they don't make it the other way. And it's, I just, I just haven't stopped. It's been 16 years of that. That's bananas. So it was both useful for trolling for men and making a cake, which (laughs) I I mean, those are two skills. I mean, when I got married, I thought I knew how to cook, but it turns out I, I knew how to eat. I knew, which is not the same thing. I remember the first time I followed a recipe to make chicken stock, which was just one of those things that appeared and was always simmering on the back burner at my mom's house in the house where I grew up. I just thought, oh, I'll learn to do that. How hard could it be? And I just, it wasn't as bad as the Bridget Jones blue soup twine (laughs) incident, but it was, it was definitely kind of like that. Like I had used a plastic thread to tie together stuff that no one in my family, everyone would have just chucked it in the pot, but I was following sort of a fancy tie the, the the bouquet together and then it was plastic thread and the whole thing tasted like plastic and I threw it out you know your grandmother didn't make chicken noodle soup with a bouquet garni she didn't she didn't <laughs> tether um 
herbs from her field outside together with a little rope like a French chef taught you to. I feel like from the early days, I've always kind of bristled a little bit against chef cooking. I love going to restaurants. I love being wowed by chefs. But I've always found it strange that we've decided that these are the people who are going to teach us to cook at home. It's not the same cooking. It's not what we want to do. I want to learn from grandmothers. I want to learn from people who had like six kids and nobody asked them if they had an opinion on the best chicken stock. Like you just had to figure it out. And these are the people that I want to channel when I'm cooking. And they were never, maybe they were making bouquet garnies. And I think that's amazing. But, and I think if you find that it improves your soup, you should definitely do it. But I just think that like, I felt like I was getting my cooking information from the wrong places from people with different goals from me. The stories you tell are really forgiving because I would say your website, Smitten Kitchen, is a bit of an anathema to me. If I usually if I want a recipe quickly, like we're trying chicken tikka masala for something or, or homemade enchilada sauce, I will go to a random site and I'm going to scroll right to the recipe. I don't want to read some well-intentioned cook's insipid explanation of how she served enchiladas with cornbread. And what isn't that hilarious? Like, I'm a jump-to-the-recipe kind of girl. That said, I love your stories. I love the the kitchen cataclysm or the admission that she made the brownies without flour. Or I'm on the journey with you. Why do you tell – like, why do you um, serve your recipes with a side of storytelling? I enjoy the story. I think that a recipe without a story is just a list of ingredients. Tell me why. Tell me how. Tell me how it fit into your life. Tell me why it matters. I feel like that's interesting. I don't necessarily need to read the head note every time. That's why I have a jump to the recipe. I also don't care if you never read it. Like it does not hurt my feelings if you don't want to hear what happened on Thursday. Like it's fine. You don't have to leave me a comment about how you didn't read it you know, either or get like really mad on Twitter about it. You could just not read it, but it doesn't bother me at all. I totally get it. But I also, I think it's interesting. I think that, you know, there is a lot of, even early on, on the web, there were a lot of recipe indexes. Like you could just find a recipe. You could find a recipe for anything, but why? Why this one? What does it do different? Does it know why it does it differently? What does it do better? Is there a technique in here you want to point me to? Is there something that's going to make life easier? Is there something that's an extra step, but you want to explain why it's worth it? Maybe, listen, I'm a very loquacious person. <laughs> so the idea of not explaining these things, I can't imagine why somebody wouldn't want to know those things. So perhaps that's why I have the job I do. But um, I think it's very interesting. And I want to hear how recipes fit into people's lives. I love the comment section. I don't care if you change every ingredient, as long as you're not like super mad at me that it didn't work. But I don't think that happens as much as people think. So I love to hear how it worked for you at home. Oh, I used dried parsley. I didn't have chicken legs. I used chicken thighs, whatever. Tell me, I like, give it to me. I want it all. I will say when I told the kids that we were test previewing a smitten kitchen cookbook, like we all lost our minds a little bit. Aww. Like I let them, <laughs> they were just bananas. Like I let them scroll through and pick out recipes that interested them. Right away, I realized that my mistake because I had, you know, selected things like toasted ricotta gnocchi with pistachio pesto and winter squash soup with red onion crisp. And they're just like, ooh, cookies, mm. French fries. Did you not see the cookies, <laughs> mom? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think they'll so like the gnocchi. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I think they'll like the gnocchi. No, absolutely. Yeah, my kids don't go into the book, and they're like, oh, the winter squash soup with red onion crisp, mom. Definitely that for dinner. They want the chicken parm. 
They want the, I think it's very useful to have this kind of feedback though, because sometimes like, you know, those of us who cook a lot, we can, you know, who might get bored of cooking, which is like such a privilege in itself. Like how lucky we are to be so well fed and not worry about where our food's coming from to be like, I'm bored of this thing where I have to feed myself. Like it's, I get that. But for those of us who are, I think it can be very easy to get into this like more esoteric space where it's like cooking for decoration, cooking to cure boredom. And I, I think it's okay if you feel this way, but it sometimes can be helpful to have a kid around that's like spaghetti. That looks good, you know, um, to have that voice in your ear. And then you can say, well, what can we do with spaghetti to make it a little more exciting than spaghetti usually is? Yeah, I know we were totally in a back to school eating rut where it was like, we're having these soft tacos that I know how to make. And we're having this particular pasta with olive oil and garlic because it's quick. So we were in a definite rut. So as a consequence, when we were previewing your book, we cooked our fannies off and we made like bizarre meals. Like I, we brunched on the the slumped Parmesan, Parmesan how did you like frittata. It? Everybody ate it. I couldn't call Yay! it a frittata for my son. I had to call it, you know, triangle scrambled eggs. And he ate it. <laughs> How old is he? You're like he's, he's seventeen. He's, no, yeah, he's twenty-two. No, he's he's ten. So my my seventeen-year-old was all about the slumped frittata, but my son needed to call it scrambled eggs to eat it. But then we paired it with um, the caramelized cinnamon sugar French toast, which I was not going to make at all because I'm like. I already have my go-to French toast recipe, and everybody agreed that it was better. <laughs> oh, my God. I was, so, I was not going to make it. I'm like, this is cinnamon toast. I know how to make that. But it was so um, puddly and, like, almost pudding, like puddingy in the middle and so crispy on the outside. So it had just bananas. Like, someone was in a fight and came to the table to, to like, make up with a fight to to be able to, to eat the food. So well, I think you should call that conflict like resolution. Reading a comment section. Like I said, I kind of hold my breath until I hear how the recipe goes for other people. So I'm going to hold my breath less on these recipes. Knowing yeah. That yeah, just call it conflict them. conflict resolution toast, I think is what I would call I it. I love it. <laughs> I, I stopped making that a long time ago. I made it a bunch of times. And then my husband was really always into it. I'm like, well, here's the recipe, babe. And so it's one of like the five recipes of mine that's like in the book, but not published. Well, at the moment it was, um, and, uh, that he makes because it's his recipe now. So he was making it like every weekend for a while. It was really nice. I should remind him it's been a few weeks. Yes. That would be a good husband one. We also made the, um, the French onion soup and I've made French onion soup before impatiently. And I liked that you, you told us that the ghost of Julia Child was not going to haunt us if we didn't brown the um, the onions more if we didn't cook them down. But I lost track of them while I was making other things and they cooked down just like onions and butter cooked down to that like indescribably delicious, jammy, like, like such. It was so amazing. I've made French onion soup before, but I've never quite nailed it. And that was delightful. I've, we've also broken all of our, um, all of the crocs that we used to cook that in. So we only had teeny tiny ramekins. So everyone got in that one, we got like four tablespoons of soup and like aggressively cheesed and, um, breaded on top, which we, so we made tiny ones and then we just, you know, served the, the soup. It's sort of casserole. Like you could take your Dutch oven or your soup pot that goes in the oven and just kind of like, or you can do it shallower in like a nine by 13 and put all the cheese toast on top. Yes. Like kind of scoop it into the bowl. I love the idea of like family style or party size French yeah. onion soup. That would have been a good but idea. You wouldn't get the individual crust on your bowl though. That's I'm glad you liked it though. <laughs> it was delightful. We finished that one with chocolate cake because my son wanted to like have a contribution. So 
that was, you know, French onion soup and chocolate cake. But out of the whirlwind experience, I had like two sets of questions. Like some of my questions are logical, like how do you decide which recipes go into the book and go to the website? But most of my responses, like most of my questions were just emotional and they circled around like, how in the hell do you do this? Because <laughs> I was winded after like a few days of trying to cook and take notes on recipes. Oh, how like do you do this? <laughs> Sorry. I don't cook like that all the time. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, these are, I'm not going to tell you about the boring chicken cutlets I made or the leftovers we read. Not because I'm trying to build some image of myself as some some sort of domestic goddess. I just don't think it's a very interesting story to tell. I show up when I have something to say, you know, and I went, I'm like, let me tell you about this new thing. And when the site goes quiet, it means I wasn't doing anything interesting for a couple of weeks. This is the reality or the recipes aren't ready. But no, I want to tell you about the things that are worth talking about. So no, there's plenty of, there's already like, Ooh, I've got a bunch of things this afternoon. I don't know what we're eating for dinner. Like, I don't know. It's not going to be very exciting. Maybe, maybe I'll get a steak. That sounds really ambitious though. Um, so that's, yeah, no, real life is just, these are not every day. This might be, you know, in a good week, one or two days, you know, have like a really cool dish that's homemade and special and thought out. But the rest of the days are just regular in praise of normal lives. All right. So you're not part robot, because I think that was one of my questions. Is this woman part robot? No, my God. No, (laughs) I think that, no, this is like, these were the things I was excited to tell you about. I've never been interested in talking about like grilled chicken breast. Like, I just can't do it. Like, I've done it once, but like, it has, I have to feel like I have something to say. I don't want to ask you to like, show up to read about something that you've already seen a million times, or it's already out there. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. You know what What other recipe was just hilarious was the whole lemon poppy seed cake. You the, made it. The, the, um, <laughs> I was really hesitant because I'm like, wait a minute, we're just going to put this. Like, I felt like Cookie Monster making a recipe, like just chucking a whole lemon into the food processor. Or like there was that Saturday Night Live skit with a, the basimatic. It was, <laughs> I was calling it the basimatic lemon poppy seed cake. And then mm-hmm. I didn't have poppy <laughs> seeds. And so it was the basimatic whole lemon chia seed cake. Um, it, we had some substitutions, but it was great fun to just press my terrible food processor and try like beg it to shred down a lemon. I've never done that before. And how fun. did you like it? So there were mixed reviews on that one because some of the okay. kids were like, I taste the pith. Because you know how sometimes you get a lemon that's like, you can tell it's too chunky 
too much, mm-hmm. you know, and others they oh were God. thin. I didn't, I didn't, um, I don't oh think I did a good I'm enough like literally job. Opening the book, I'm spiraling. I'm like, didn't I mention about that? You probably did. I'm not <laughs> a good, no, I'm just, careful no, I reader, but you need like uh, a thin skinned, you need the kind mm-hmm. of lemon that the rest of us shouldn't be, right? You need a thin skinned lemon. We should all be thick skinned lemons, but I think I used a way too big one. And you don't I know what you're it. getting from the store until you open it mm-hmm. at all. Like it's not, um, it's not. It's not your fault. <laughs> no, but I thought so, it was quite fun. And we ate that one, oh, I think, on the same night that we did the garlic, the soup with the garlic and ginger, which was lovely. I make chicken soup all the time, but everyone gets tired of it. So it was a nice Aww. riff on the on the chicken um, soup. I like that one, too. And I like that it's just a very, very, very simple weeknight friendly. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think that's what I'm going to make tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. My son was asking. It's been a while. Um, but I like the way you're just taking something very simple and then you're just adding a couple things and it makes it a little more like just not always like grandma style. Um, I was just remembering that um, in my first book, I have a recipe for a whole lemon uh, bars. They're lemon bars, but they're made with a whole lemon. And that was the first time I started playing around with a whole lemon. And that was when I learned that sometimes you have these ones with like half an inch thick skin and sometimes you get like a kind of normal lemon and I actually recommend it and I am realizing that I think when I was testing it it worked with all the lemons for this book so it was okay but if you get one that's that thick you can actually just cut the peel and the white off half of it leave the whole lemon inside side but like you could just go to cut half of the skin off and then you're kind of just getting half the white Um, and it can make a little more muted I realize that's very helpful for me to tell you this now though (laughs) I'll just have to make it again I, was, I also was wondering, this question I think could be like two different ways. So it's either like, is there a food that's just too perfect that you shall never adapt because it's just like it's culinary perfection, it's out there and you don't want to change it? Or do you have like an Achilles heel recipe? So like I met a conductor once who admitted to having one piece that he said was just simply unconductible. So like, do you have something that's perfect that you would never adapt or something that you've tried a zillion times and you're like, F it. I just, I don't cook. I, don't, I can't even think of anything you don't cook because I'm like scones. No, done. Broccoli, done. Cauliflower. Like, oh, I don't you don't know. notice when I don't cook. That doesn't mean I don't <laughs> cook things. I would say that I have a whole bunch of things that I don't cook just because why would I make a croissant? I had the most amazing croissant for breakfast. I can't even explain. I have made croissants. I will never achieve this level of croissanting that I had this morning. <laughs> literally walking just a couple blocks from my apartment. I see no reason to do this. I don't make sushi either. Like I thought about it, but like we have a lot of really great places and I can get it. And it's just not, it's just not on my agenda. I feel like I, I'm not going to do it really well. And there are people who do it really well and I'd rather let them do it. And then I don't have to cook. Um, but there are also in terms of recipes that I can't get right. There's actually, I would say like a good several dozen of them. And those are usually like I don't know if I'll ever get them right, or I tend to be working on a lot of recipes at once, not actively, but I'll work on something, I'll kind of hit a wall, I'll get frustrated, I will save all my notes, when I do it right, I will save all of the notes, and I will try to write down what happened, why it didn't work, such as this carrot dish I made yesterday, I just can't get it right, and I feel like I just, I needed to have a talk with myself that you've been coming back to this carrot dish, trying to get it right, and like, just, and so that was like my note to myself on the document. <laughs> um, and then what I'm hoping is at some point, I'm going to be like, you know, what? and it's going to be so random. I'm going to be like on a plane to Toronto and I'm going to be like, do you know what? I, I think I know what I, I'll be looking out the window and I'll remember something that I did with carrots once or another vegetable. I'm like, I bet that's the thing. And then I'll add that to the note. And then when I come back to it, 
I'll do it. So I realized that was a very convoluted way to explain it. But there's basically like I'm very often in the middle of many, many recipes that I can't get right. And I'm just kind of waiting for something to click into place or to just accept that it wasn't meant to be. Um, I have a very old recipe on the site for um, really from the earliest days. It's called brown butter, brown sugar shorties. And it's the shortbread cookie made with brown butter and brown sugar. And they are, I cannot even explain just the smell of them. They're the ugliest cookie. And I don't think I've, and I have had a lot of cookies and I have new cookies, but this is one of the best tasting things I've ever had. They don't work consistently. They don't work consistently. It has vexed me for, I mean, we're talking about 2008. That means I've been vexed by this recipe for 14 years. And every couple of years I go back and I try something else to try to get them to work consistently for everybody. And I don't. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to get a different recipe, right? <laughs> and I can't get that recipe, right? And I realized that the base of it was the way to fix this recipe. I realize this is like a very long explanation. I now have a solution for these cookies and I can't wait to share it this winter. <laughs> I will um, I'm just always, doing a little more testing. I so always look out for the cookies. That's for great. a long time and I can't wait. Like I literally already had one this morning. Oh, along with the croissant. It's been a good day. <laughs> um, I can't wait to I'm share actually, it. I'm actually, I'm enamored of this answer because as a as a writer, one of the things we're, we're told is to always be revising. And sometimes revising means you've got to put something aside. You just, like, you're stuck on it. The character is stuck or the story is stuck or you're too close to it. You actually can't see it. So you, you put something aside. And sometimes I just put something aside again that I've been trying to write for years and I just haven't been able to nail it. So what you're describing makes, makes total sense to me because your brain is continuing to work on it even when your hands aren't mixing it right now. So that that also makes me wonder if you have ever had literary aspirations beyond a cookbook. I think you're such a marvelous storyteller. Like, is there a murder mystery in your future where someone's poisoned by one of the dozen brownie <laughs> recipes on your site? Or maybe like a memoir with recipes like a like water for chocolate. But I, I don't know. Like, do you ever have aspirations to write something that's not a cookbook? Not really. No, it's weird. Um, I think very much like these are kind of like personal essays up front and they relate to food, but it hasn't. I've been asked if I was going to write a book that was more, but it's really just never, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I have written occasional op-ed once in a while. I'll write an article about something else. I do kind of like doing a random op-ed here and there just to keep people awake <laughs> um, about things I hate. I like it when people pay me to rant about things. Um um, sometimes they're less contentious than others. I was just this morning, a friend was saying that she had to go like sell cookies at a bake sale at her kid's school. And I was like, don't ever do the economics on it. You're going to get so mad. You're going to write an op-ed. And then I remembered that I'd written one of the New York Times about how much I hate <laughs> bake sales many years ago. So, um, anyway, it went over really well, as you can imagine. But so I do enjoy writing an odd piece here and there, but I, I no, I don't really... There's no, I don't think there's a novel inside me. And I think that's okay. There's enough novels inside other people. Let them, let them get them out. Well, if you do write that brownie murder mystery, I will, I'll be there for that. It's the <laughs> content I'm here for. You know, the, the confession has to be buried in the recipe head notes. I think I once, somebody once sent me a tweet like this. It was like, there's a murder mystery, but the confessions and the recipes had notes. So nobody's ever read it. And it was there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Deep in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioning bake sales made me think about um, the fact that I see your kids mentioned on the website, you know, mm -hmm. from time to time. And, and baking with kids can be either a labor of love 
or or hate, depending on the day. Do you have any success, any tips for successfully cooking with children without throwing them down a flight of stairs? See, I feel like I need to get these tips from you because it sounds like you do it with far <laughs> more grace than I do. I have to say that for me, the biggest thing has been realizing and ex- like, I don't know why it took me so long for this to click. Like my job, my full-time job is not being a mom. My full-time job is this. And so if I am trying to work on a recipe or like get it right, this is not the moment to have my kids. I love, like, I always say like, let's say you were in your cubicle at your office. Would you like your kids sitting on the desk helping you? No, you would not get your work done. So why do I think I can have a kid in the kitchen when I'm trying to get a recipe right? But the kind of cooking we can enjoy is let's say it's weekend and we want pancakes or the kids want to make a cake. I think it's like if it's not cooking for work or it's like we're working on a recipe that's already established or we're trying a recipe from a new book, that's fine. But if I'm working on getting a recipe right, again, this is this is really basic information I'm sharing, but for some reason it took me many years to realize why I was so stressed out when my kids were in the kitchen. It's like, cause I'm trying to get work done. This is not the moment. This is like, I just, I'm going to have to fully retest this when they're not here because this is, yeah, they're not meant to be in the cubicle with me. So separating it. So I think weekend cooking can be nice. I think low stakes cooking when it's something extra. I really do worry about my kids not learning enough cooking because I do it so much all day that like by the evening, I'm not like, okay, so let's do a scrambled eggs lesson or something like that. Um, But I'm working on it, making sure they learn a few things too. Sure. I think definitely making something that they want to make is is helpful. I also I I met someone once who had her son making a salad and I was he was like 6. I'm like what's happening there? But she explained that he was making salad from vegetables he'd grown in his garden and we were coming oh over God. and so it was like a source of pride that he was making lettuce from lettuce he picked. And so sometimes the sourcing, like if it's if they've got some ownership over the ingredients, whether it's mm-hmm. something they grew in a garden or something they picked out at the store, like they mm-hmm. they can sort of, I don't know, my son, when we made popovers, he had the idea to put vanilla in the popovers, which is not, don't tell him, but it's like, it's not the most amazing idea, but sure. And we went with it. And he he was like the secret vanilla. He called it his secret ingredient. And rather than Aww, rather than minimizing so that, being like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, did you remember the secret ingredient? And they would go and get the vanilla. So, so letting cute. them own it and not like, for me, this is where the the perfectionism, I have to like let go of it is it's going to be what it's going to be. Like, I don't know if that's going to throw off mm-hmm. and make it too much moisture or whatever, like, but let them own it. But you're absolutely right. That would not work in the test kitchen. That's definitely a weekend yeah. cooking mm-hmm. thing. Well, it took me a while to figure it out. Too. I do like taking them shopping, though. I think it can be fun. Like, I think if you take them, I mean, it's obviously usually I'm shopping during the workday or morning my groceries because I'm in a rush and I need to get them. But I just mean, like, I do try to drag them along to the green market here or there or just the grocery store in the corner because I feel like they do get a lot more excited by a vegetable when they, you know, if you're like, well, what vegetable are we going to eat tonight? Do you want green beans? No, I don't want this. I don't want this. And then you're like, wait. But when they go to the store, like peppers or like green beans or something we haven't had in a while. And I forgot about it until the kid reminded me or they ask for a certain kind of pear, which I would not have thought to buy. So I feel like they're definitely better eaters when they've shopped for it a little bit. And uh, yep, sometimes completely. I do leave out a cookbook for them. Like there's new, I saw a new kids cooking to see if there's something they were excited to kind of try to work their way through this weekend. We'll see. <laughs> not my own though, weirdly. What's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that's funny to be leaving out someone else's cookbook when you're, but that is absolutely how it goes. They'll get really excited about something that someone else has done. 
Hey, this is making me think, are you terrible to invite over? Like, are you the most intimidating house guest and no one will cook for you? They're like, here's some water. <laughs> or like, like is there a downside to being snazzy and awesome at food? I have like, I've heard from people that and I'm like, I don't know why, because I would love to come over. I would love to. I get so excited when people cook for me. I am not judging. Are you kidding me? Like, I am so happy that I'm not the one cooking. And also that like, I think it's just so amazing. I know what goes into making a dish. And I think it's like so cool for somebody to share this piece of themselves. It's like a piece of creative art. There's no bad art. I don't think there's any bad art that was like made with love to share with people. You know, and maybe I'm my, my, my ex art teacher moment is showing up, but, um, I just, uh, I love it. I don't like, I'm not sitting there going, Oh, this cake is dry. And like, like I would never, it's not like I'm doing it out of politeness. It's just not where my brain is at all. I'm so happy. Somebody's cooking for me. Yeah, it's that, it's that part. Like when someone is going to cook and do dishes for me, are you kidding me? That is such a gift. <laughs> okay, I know you do a ton of interviews, so I always try to ask like little tiny questions at the end to just be different than other people. So I'm just these are just like multiple choice questions. You just pick one, okay? Mm-hmm. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Mountains or beach? Beach. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Crumb cake or fruit pie? Crumb cake. World Peace Cookies or Austrian Raspberry Shortbread? Raspberry Shortbread? I'm going old. Like, I'm going way back. I brought both of those. I, I always would just like, go to your site. That is like, that I mean, is some. I was, young. Probably I was early. younger when I published those recipes. <laughs> <laughs> I was a young person. <laughs> I used to go to a cookie. I still do sometimes, but I used to go to a cookie exchange every year. And I was just like, what, which one am I making this year? And I, I was stuck in the world peace rut for a little bit. And then I made the Austrian raspberry shortbread for some reason, which was like a nightmare, but deliciousness. And I couldn't believe I liked it even better. So, yeah, I, I have a real thing whole- for those like kind of shortbread and jam things. I know they're not for everyone. If I was trying to make it for other people and I wanted them to be happy with it, I'd probably do the World Peace one. And these are, of course, Dory Greenspan's amazing World Peace cookies. Um, would never claim ownership of them. I just shared them. I love I love how generous you are on the site. I think for some reason there's um, this belief that you can only share a recipe if you've invented it by magic from scratch that – no one but you has ever cooked a tomato. Yeah, and that's, I think about that. It's so silly. But I love the way that you just, you know, you give a nod to somebody like, oh, I got this from Ina Garten and I, I tried this. Or I, I just, I think that's, it's not just generous. It's good, it's good uh, culinary citizenship. And it also reminds us that I've never invented a recipe in my life that I could recreate. It's just, we just, we're all riffing on one another. It's all jazz. Yeah. I, and, and does the person who doesn't credit it, are they the person that invented lasagna? And I also, that, and again, yeah, I'm not Mrs. saying, lasagna. you know, we don't have to go crazy. Like I first made lasagna from this person and this, but I just feel like if you learned something or you pulled something from there, this idea that it takes away from you or your, or what you have to offer to say it, I think is so lousy. And it's led to a lot of people's voices not being heard in food where like only popular publishers' voices are heard. And I think that a lot of the reckonings that we've had in the last few years have long overdue about like who gets published and who doesn't and who gets to have ownership for their own food come from this place of people not thinking that they need to cite their sources. And, you know, you said it was generous and thank you, but I don't, I think it should just be standard, like professional behavior. I don't, I think it's really, you know, you know, you probably, like I know, 
when somebody's using my recipe. I know where you got it. I know when I published it. I know that nobody had published it before. You know, I'm not like, and I'm not going to call you out, but I, I'm thinking that you're probably not the best person. You know, like yeah, I'm thinking that that yeah. really, and I just think it's really not that hard. And I really want to normalize and standardize the idea that you can talk about and you should, it also makes the conversation more interesting. I told you, you know, I like the head notes because I'm in it for the conversation. I think it's really interesting. And when you say, I first learned about onion soup from Julia Child, then I tried Anthony Bourdain's over the years. I've really liked this technique that I use for zucchini over, that's, that's the story. Why would you not tell it? It's citing your influences, your um, what, your your literary parents is what it's called in books. So your your culinary family, you yeah. know who who it is you can come from. All right, back to my multiple choice. I got I got us off. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Do you love cilantro or hate cilantro? I used to not love it, and I have come around to it because it's in all my favorite foods. <laughs> I, I actually have noticed the presence of it. I thought maybe you were on team didn't like, you know how for some people it's like, they taste like soap. It did. But not everyone. It did. Mm-hmm. It did. And I think I've just, I've, I've just come around. I'm working on it. And um, I don't, it doesn't really, there, once in a while it's somewhere and I don't want it there. But I would say now I, I'm, I'm updating my taste buds on it. Gotcha. Uh, would you rather peel an onion or peel garlic? Neither. <laughs> um, I'd say garlic because garlic, you can, if it's nice and crispy, you just kind of smash it and then you can kind of peel the skin off. And it's very satisfying. It is. I love the smash of the garlic. Just It just takes out the anger. It has nice. to be good, crisp, and fresh with like a tight skin. Very true. Um, are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, my God, night owl. Yeah, I haunt the house as Morning, well. people. How is that? It's unfortunate because I have children and obviously don't have a choice about this. It just means I'm tired way more often than I should be. Yeah, hear you there. Are you a risk taker or the person who always knows where the band-aids are? Um, both. <laughs> My anxiety requires me to know where the band-aids are, but no, I'd rather I'd rather do things. I feel like I'm fighting off boredom very easily, and so I'm always very interested in doing something different or doing something new. Good stuff. I have a few multiple choice to close then. So if, fill in the blank for this one. Sorry, fill in the blank. If I wasn't working as a food writer slash cook slash photographer, I would be a... My God, I definitely would need a job job for sure. I don't know. Maybe I would try writing, (laughs) try writing for the first time. I feel like I would probably enjoy writing in some way. I might enjoy doing something food adjacent, like food styling or recipe. I'm like, see, I just went back to the same thing. I'm like, well, could I be a recipe developer for somebody else? No, Deb, she said something different. I always thought it would be nice to make ceramics. I don't think I'm particularly good at it, but I think it would be nice. Okay, what's something quirky that folks don't always know about you? This could be a like, a love, a pet peeve. Um, I, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> um, I have absolutely participated in them from time to time, but this is like, this is my, uh, I don't like those grazing board things. I don't like those things where all the food, and I feel like I'm just going to offend a lot of people because they're very beautiful. But they look great on Pinterest. They look great on Instagram. I find them impractical. I find putting all these random foods together, touching each other, like the nuts are getting soft from the brie, which is melting. And at the end, it feels very wasteful because you're going to have to throw away everything at the end of the night. You cannot salvage the brie wedge that's left because it has like little figs embedded in or seeds from the crackers or somebody's touched it. Okay. I should just, I'm going to make, I'm here to make, I should be making food sound good. And I'm like, isn't that gross? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's one of my little pet peeves. Again, I don't mean that like if you served me one, I wouldn't be like so happy to eat it. I think as a host, it feels impractical and a little bit wasteful. Sure. Yeah. Um, Okay. Last few here. What's one of your favorite 
books or movies? Favorite? I'm going to go with movie because I've been not great about reading books while finishing my own. It gets my brain in the wrong place. Um, I, it would be good for me, but it takes me a while to get back to them. I need some plane rides and train rides. Um, God, okay, why am I drawing a blank? This is like not what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I don't want to say Big Night because that's something that everybody always talks about. Like, what is an amazing movie I watched recently? I'm sorry. I'm totally drawing. Or even blank. television. I feel like we're oh in my like God, the golden we just age of Netflix. watching so. Bad Sisters. Oh, is it good? I, I haven't watched. I really enjoyed it. It's so – I just love a little dark humor. And it's about these sisters who – one of their husbands dies and he – Everyone hates him so much. He's such a horrible person in every way that a person can be. Nobody, like everybody on earth had a motive to kill him. (laughs) It's not even a matter of like, did somebody kill him? It's like, which one of them did it? Was it all of them? (laughs) Um, And I found it thoroughly enjoyable. And it's from Sharon, Sharon Horgan. She wrote it and uh, she, it's her show. And um, she, I'd first seen her with Catastrophe a few years ago, which was a great show with Rob Delaney. And um, it was about a marriage, but um, this was hilarious. So she's amazing. And I loved the humor. Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to add those both to my list because I'm always feeling like when I do grab 45 minutes to sit down to the television, I will spend fully 30 minutes of it browsing for the thing that I can't remember someone told me to watch. And then I just end up, you know, rewatching Bridgerton, which I love, but, you know, still. All right. Last two. Uh, what's your favorite ice cream? I love a good pistachio or a mint chip. Yeah. Excellent. And the last one, if we were to take a picture of you really happy and doing something you love, what would we see you doing? I would probably be stomping around Central Park this weekend, looking at leaves, going, ooh, a red leaf. My kids are like, yeah, it's a leaf. And I'm like, it's an orange leaf. (laughs) This one is orange and green at the same time. Like, I get so excited about that stuff. And I did not get up to Central Park last weekend that I'm hoping to this weekend. Oh, my gosh. that's If it's autumn in New York, if you're not really a mom, if you're not tormenting your children. (laughs) I'm going to be dorking out about foliage. And they were like, a leaf. Awesome. Can we get an apple cider donut, mom? Oh my gosh, Deb Perlman, thank you so much for letting us um, actually meet you in person today. It's kind of a like a fangirl dream come true. Thank you for turning your obsessive and fastidious cooking compulsions into beautiful recipes that have, you know, blessed our lives. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed chatting. Thank you. And folks, Deb Perlman's latest cookbook is called Smitten Kitchen Keepers. It's available now wherever books are sold. You can learn to make the kind of cozy chicken and dumpling soup that will just like be like a warm blanket around your family as we head into these winter months. Go buy a copy for every foodie on your list. And then, you know, another one just for you. To everyone listening, we're wishing you love and light wherever this day takes you. Be good to yourself and be good to one another. And we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. 
Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast.